Good morning. Uh, as Tanya already said during announcements, uh, thank you for uh, spending this hour here with us. I am a hiker, and so when I get this kind of thing, I'm like, let's go. Like uh, My family, I think, gets tired of me. You're like, what are we going to do? I'm like, we should go on a hike again. And they're like, oh, okay, Dad, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here with uh, uh, all of us today, that we get to worship together, that we get to spend this time uh, together worshiping God. Um, for those of you who are here, Tanya already mentioned this, but I want to be uh, another one to say it, that we're glad that you're here. If you're checking us out for the first time, we have several of you who have never been here before, and so glad that you're here. Uh, so no matter if you're here first time or the 107th first time, whatever it is, this is a safe place for you to dig in at your pace, at your level, at your speed, and discover what it means to give your life to Jesus and to follow him every single day. We are not a church. You'll find this to be true. I may dig into this today. I don't know. Uh, it, se it seems like I dig into it no matter what the message is supposed to be about. Uh, but we are not a church that uh, believes in that you just show up on a Sunday morning and then the rest of the week you kind of do what you need to do. We are a church that believes that Jesus is truly the Lord and Savior of the world, that he died on the cross and they rose from the grave and that that should change who you are and how you live. That is what we believe. And so this is a safe place for you. To, if you don't believe that yet, this is a safe place for you to dis, uh, dig in to discover what that should look like and what that means. Uh, well, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you have heard of or watched the TV show called The Middle? Anybody? I just want to see how many people in here. Okay, we've got a few of you. That's actually kind of surprising because it's one of those TV shows that's as cheesy as it gets. My, that's why my wife loves it. She loves that TV show uh, because she must love cheesiness because I'm about as cheesy as it gets, <laughs> as you know. Um, and so anyway, uh, that show is very simply about like a Midwestern family and they really, it's a comedy show. And so they just kind of have fun or make fun of normal everyday kind of challenges that that families have. Normal everyday stuff and they try to make it funny. And so one of the, the I'm going to show you a clip here in a minute and it's about this same family in this TV show and the mom decides that for the first time in a long time apparently they're actually going to sit down at the table together as a family. They don't normally do this. So you can imagine how this is going to go. Uh, and so here's just a couple of minutes, just a short clip of them taking this attempt, trying to go after mealtime together as a family when they don't normally do this sort of thing. Take a look. Tonight, we're having a family dinner in here for a change. Dad? You heard your mother. Everybody, sit down. What is the big deal? We've eaten at the table before. I don't have a chair. Huh. I guess we hadn't really eaten at the table since we had brick. Not a problem. We have more chairs outside. Dad, why are we doing this? Uh, maybe your mom and I need to uh, talk to you. I don't know. Are you getting a divorce? Let's see how this goes. This'll be fun. You know, this is actually how a lot of people eat dinner every night. They sit, and they face each other, and they ask each other questions about how their day went. Let's do that. So, what was your high and what was your low of the day? My low is right now. Fine. I'll do it. My high is having dinner here with my family. My low is the comment that Axel just made. Sue. 
My high was that the guy who sits next to me in science saw me in the hallway today and seemed to sort of recognize me. Hmm. My low was that I was wrong. He didn't. The loser! What did I say about sneezing words at your sister? My low is realizing that my family never bought a chair for me. My high is I can eat food right off the table. Oh, wait, I want to change my low. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. I love when Axel, the true teenager, at the end says, oh, wait, I want to change my low. <laughs> my little brother's eating directly off the table. So the point is that mealtime actually is one of those things that's really important but hard to do, isn't it? It really is. And, and as human beings, one thing that we just know that we do, we get this as human beings, we eat and we talk. And when we talk, we eat. And when we eat, we talk. That's just what we do. Right? I, the, one of the biggest things when I talk to somebody, mo usually it's over, you know, uh, coffee or it's over food or something there, which I kind of really like that God set it up that way. Right? But, but the truth is mealtime is important. And I want to just take a quick side note because uh, I think this would be good. I want to give you a challenge. Something that could change the trajectory of your family. The challenge is try to have mealtime once a day at a table where you actually have to do that and face each other. You don't have to do high lows. And my guess is if you don't do it, you will end up with even more resistance like what you just saw there. Because it's not going to be comfortable, it's not going to be easy, and there's a lot of people that don't want to do it. But let me just tell you, it could change the trajectory of your family. It's important. So I'm giving you a challenge. The first couple of times, the first few times, it's going to be hard. You're going to be like, uh, this is dumb. Brent was wrong. This is terrible. But after that, it'll become normal, and then you'll see the fruit that bears out of it. Let me just give you that challenge. If you do, awesome. Keep it up. Try to do it more consistently. If you don't, let me challenge you to do it. So now, the reason I brought up mealtime, though, is because we're going to continue our series that we've been in, Great Stories of the Bible. And what we've been doing is we're going to kind of turn a corner today because in the series, we've really been focusing on all the Old Testament stories, David and Goliath, Noah and the ark, Jonah and the whale, all these kind of things. And so we've kind of dug into all these kinds of things. And so, so we're going to, we've been digging into that, but today we're going to turn the corner and we're going to look at the New Testament. And today we're going to look at the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. So it's another meal time where they had to actually face each other. And Jesus is going to share some very important things and actually do some very important things. And so today we're going to focus on the Last Supper, what is called the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. So let me just set up the context so we kind of have the right picture in our mind of what we're kind of going for, what we're talking about. So Jesus and his disciples, they're in this private citizen's home in the city of Jerusalem. So we don't know whose house it was, but it was somebody's house in the upper level story in this big room. And they've got the table set and they're there to celebrate something called the Passover. Now I'm not going to dig into the Passover and I'm just going to kind of put a, a plug in, a promo for next week. Next week is Palm Sunday, but we're going to do something a little bit different than probably any church has normally done on Palm Sunday. What we're going to do is we're actually going to focus on the Passover, we're going to have actually, a, a, we're going to have a table. We're going to do some things and I'm going to share with you the symbolism and some of the intensity and some of the importance of a Seder, a Jewish Seder meal. If you've never experienced that, now we can't do an entire Seder meal. It would take two to three hours, right? 
per service. So we'd be here until like three in the afternoon. Some of you would love that. Some of you are like, I want to eat something different, right? That's cool. So we're not going to do an entire Seder meal. There's no way I can do that. But we're going to bring out some of the things that they were celebrating at this particular meal, the Passover meal. So I'm not going to get into it. But that's what they were there to do is to celebrate this Passover meal. Very special, very important meal to their culture. So it's a special deal, kind of like Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner would be for you and I. Okay? So they're at the table, and, uh, and, and Jesus and the disciples are there, and they're having supper together. And, and Jesus knows something that nobody else in the room knows. He knows that this is his last meal with the disciples. The disciples don't know that. They're about to find out. But Jesus knows this. This is, my, this is kind of my last opportunity to talk to them on a face-to-face personal level. Okay? And Jesus knows this. They don't know. And, and just so that we kind of have an idea, because when we think of sitting down, we might think of like the TV show that I showed you, you know, where we sit and we need a chair, kind of like Brick didn't have a chair. That was hilarious, by the way. Brings in a yard chair, brushes off the snow. I thought that was pretty funny. And so, you know, do that. We, we sit on chairs. They didn't have chairs usually. Okay? And so I have a picture, actually, this is a wood carving. They had a U-shaped table, and they would have reclined on pillows around the table. The middle would have been open for the servers to come in and serve everybody the, the different food and drinks and all kind of stuff. All right? So it was probably a U-shaped table. We don't know that for sure, but this is how a lot of them ate back then. Okay? They reclined at the table with their feet kind of facing away. This is important to know for some of the stuff that's going to happen during this, the supper. Um, to give you a little bit better idea, I have another drawing that you can see. This is kind of a, somebody actually says this is their seating chart, so I don't know how this person figured it out. So we don't know that this is exactly where they sat, okay, you understand. But you get an idea of where, you know, everybody was, okay? And no, their names weren't disciple, 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 just so you know, all right? Just so we're clear, Okay? But you get the idea. It's a U-shaped table. They're laying, they're reclining on pillows, and they're having this very special meal, and the servers would come into the middle to serve everybody. Okay, so that's, that's kind of, as long as you have the right picture. So now what I want to do is Jesus and the disciples, they're at the table. They're getting ready to start this very special meal, right? So imagine like you're at Thanksgiving dinner and, some, and you're getting ready to pray or give thanks or whatever you're ready to do. That's kind of the point that they're at. They haven't started the meal yet, but they're about to. So everybody's anticipating what Jesus is going to say or what he's going to do. And Jesus blows their mind because he starts this meal in a way that nobody has ever started a meal before. Really strange way. Just blows their mind, really throws everything off. Let me just read what happens. John chapter 13, starting with verse 4. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So Jesus, they're, they're ready for this meal, and he gets up, and he takes his robe off. He wraps this towel around his waist, and he fills this basin with water, and he starts going around to each of the disciples and washing their feet. <laughs> How many of you have had that right before you had a meal? Hey, hold on. Stick your feet out. Let me just wash those real quick for you. Right? No, probably not. Now, now I, wanna, I, I, I don't have time to dig into this. Okay, really deeply as to why this is, this is a thing and why, why Jesus did this, although we'll get into that in a little bit. But the truth is, let me just tell you this, foot washing was a normal thing in their culture. It was normal. It happened every time you went to somebody's house. It was a normal thing. Um, if, if I were to put this on the same level as something that would make sense to us, uh, let's say in this culture, especially in this part of the world where it's cold, 
Obviously, it's beautiful today, but where it has been cold and somebody comes to your house, they usually come in, right, with their coat and boots or, or hats and gloves and things like that. And what is the first thing that you do when, you, when they walk in? You say, can I take your coat, right? That's what we do. That's normal. Like, you, you wouldn't say, hey, may I take your coat? I can take your coat. I can hang it up for you. They don't look at you and go, whoa, weird. Just back off. No, I want to hold on to my coat. Right? We're not going to do that. Why? Because that's normal etiquette. We all know somebody's going to offer to take your coat. Just be ready to hand it to them. They're going to hang it up. Right? Just like it's proper etiquette to offer them if they want any water or anything to drink when they get there. Right? This is normal stuff. Well, guess what? If you walked into a house in this time, in this part of the world, normally what they would say is, here's a basin. Here's, uh, here's somebody that will actually wash your feet for you. That was, that's normal. It's just like taking their coat. It's a normal thing that always happened. So the shocking thing is not that their feet were being washed. That was not shocking at all. That was, that's normal. That happens all the time. It wasn't shocking that it was happening before a meal necessarily. Although the fact that it happened right before the meal is kind of maybe a little bit different. But the, the fact that it's foot washing is not, it's not what's weird. Here's what's really crazy and mind-blowing. It's not that their feet were being washed. It was who was washing it. It was who was washing their feet. See, the truth is, Jesus is washing their feet, and it makes everything totally off. It threw everything off for the disciples. See, foot washing was one of those things that was reserved for the lowliest servant in the room or in the house. Whoever just got hired as the servant, that person has to work their way up, and so you get the foot washing job, right? We all know why, because how many of you would really like to wash other people's feet? Like, that would be something that you'd sign up for and be, yeah. Probably not. Me neither. I don't, I don't even wash, wash my own feet, let alone somebody else's. Right? I don't want to touch those things. Right? I mean, I'm just saying. Right? And so, I mean, Jesus, this is the truth. Nobody wants to do this job. Nobody wants to touch anybody else's feet, let alone clean them. And so it was reserved for the lowliest, lowest, lowest rung on the ladder. The lowest servant in the place gets that job because nobody else wants to do it. Nobody else should do it. The lowliest servant has to do that. It's like a rite of passage. So the fact that Jesus, the highest ranking person in the room, okay, let's be honest, highest ranking person on the planet is now stooping down to wash the disciples' feet. Blows their minds. Blows their minds. In fact, Jesus, after he washes their feet, he sits back down or lays back down, whatever, at, the, at his spot at the table. And then... This is what he tells them. Listen, he explains why he just did this. Listen to what Jesus says, starting with verse 12. After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. Now, just stop for a minute there. Jesus is trying to remind them where he ranks in the room. Not out of pride and be like, guys, remember, I'm awesome. That's, that's not Jesus, all right? Just so that if you know anything about Jesus, that's not Jesus. He is reminding them, though, to make this point very clear. Remember that you call me teacher and Lord. Now, in our day and age, teacher and Lord, I mean, that teacher, that's, that's one level. Lord would be another level. But when you called somebody teacher and Lord, that's the most important person in your life. Like, in, in some ways, even more than your family. That's weird for us to imagine, but that's the truth. Like they respect and revere Jesus to the highest degree that you can respect and revere anybody. 
And so the fact that he is their teacher and Lord, and he has now stooped to the level and washed their feet, that's the point that he's making. Now listen to what he says. And since I, your Lord and teacher, the one who shouldn't have done this, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And then listen to what he says. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He says, follow my example. So not only am I going to tell you to serve other people or serve God, but I want to show you what it looks like. See, what Jesus does is he shows you and I what it looks like to serve somebody else. Okay, so there are opportunities, there are times in our lives where we know there's an opportunity to serve, to give of our time, to give of our energy, to give of our money, to give of whatever the case is, probably all three of those, in fact. There are opportunities for us to serve and to sacrifice ourselves. And let's be honest, one of the big things that hold us back is sometimes we don't have the time. Sometimes we just don't want to. Sometimes it's just uncomfortable, right? Some of you have thought about volunteering or serving in a certain capacity, maybe even here at Northridge, maybe at WNC, maybe somewhere else in another community. And the reason you haven't is like, I don't know what I'd be getting into. Uh, what, if they have, what if they need to clean the bathrooms? I'd rather not. Right? What if I have to wash somebody's feet? I'd rather not. And what Jesus shows the disciples is, it doesn't matter if you're the lowliest servant in the room and that's supposed to be your job. If the feet have not been washed, that's you. You jump in and you wash somebody's feet. So Jesus' first point at this special meal to you and to I and to the disciples is this. It's very simple. Serve God and serve other people. Give of yourself. Sacrifice your time, money, and energy to serve others and serve God. This is a big deal. And I wanted to stop before we go to the next part of this meal. How are you doing at serving? Some of you, like that's your heart. You love to serve. Like that's what you do. I give to people. I serve people. That's what I love to do. Some of you would hate it with everything that's in you. I, I know that. We're all different personalities. Some of, some of you are just like, I would rather not serve anybody, right? Let me just tell you that the tendency to not want to serve people is not necessarily wrong. The, the tendency to serve people is not necessarily always right. The key is whether or not you do right? Now, for the people that just naturally serve, that it's easier for them. But God, Jesus, has shown us the example that we need to serve. So how are you doing at serving others and serving God? Second thing that we learn from Jesus, let's go on to the next chapter, John chapter 14. Jesus is now, they've in the meal, they're talking, they've already had the food is being passed around, doing all this stuff. And so Jesus is just, I mean, these are the last moments that he has with him. So he's sharing everything he can. So listen to what he says. Jesus' words, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, he's talking about God the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him, talking about the Holy Spirit, the world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So this is really important stuff. 
And it may not seem that way because he says a lot in there, but essentially Jesus says two things here. He says, one, if you love me, you will do what? You obey my commandments, right? In other words, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll do what I do. Simple, isn't it? Simple. Not necessarily easy, but simple. Simple to understand. Do what Jesus says, do what Jesus did. But then the second thing he says, oh, and by the way, I know that it's going to be hard to do that. And so I'm going to give you something that's going to help you. And he calls this the Holy Spirit. Now, you've probably heard of the Holy Spirit, but we don't talk about the Holy Spirit all that. It's kind of like the forgotten triune part of God, right? We talk about God the Father, and we talk about Jesus and how he sacrificed on the cross and all this stuff. But then we don't always talk about the Holy Spirit part of God. Okay? And so Jesus uses an interesting Greek word here that I want to share with you. It's only used five times in the entire New Testament. And uh, the Greek word is parakletos. Parakletos. There, if you really want to know Greek and you want to write it down and learn Greek, I'm sh- I can tell some of you really do. Like, you're really excited. I can tell some of you really just want to be thrown through a window for that part. And that's okay. Parakletos is a Greek word. And if you literally translate this word, he uses, Jesus uses it only five times. Actually, four times he says it directly, and the fifth time in the New Testament, John, one of the disciples, quotes Jesus. Parakletos, if you literally translate it, means advocate or legal advisor. Almost kind of like an attorney, okay? Which is kind of weird, isn't it, that he would describe the Holy Spirit as a legal advisor, an advocate? But what Jesus is talking about is that the Holy Spirit, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is this advocate. It's somebody who's going to go to bat for them. It's somebody who's going to advise them. But why would we need a legal advisor? Think about that. Why would you need a legal advisor? Well, you probably need a legal advisor if you're in trouble, right? How many of you just wake up in the morning and think, man, I need to just talk to my lawyer today just because let's go have coffee, right? Probably not. If you call your lawyer, your attorney, it's because something's wrong, right? And the other reason that we would have legal advice or legal things is because we think that there might be something that we're going to need him or her for in order to guide or direct us, give us some wisdom about, because I don't know about you, but I know the laws, but I don't know how all the laws work, right? And so I need advice on how this stuff happens. And so the Holy Spirit is there to not only keep us from being condemned, but to help us understand when we are condemned, when we feel condemned either by others or by Satan or because of our own actions. Did you know that we condemn ourselves all the time with our own actions and we feel condemned all the time? What Jesus is saying is, I have given you, I will give you a Holy Spirit that will help you with your condemnation. And the Holy Spirit will also be advising and guiding you to keep you from condemnation. Let me try to give you a practical example of this. So uh, when my children do something that maybe they shouldn't, and I don't, know, I don't know how you guys are, but my kids really never do that. They never have that problem. Um, so that's good. But if they would, if they had issues, uh, if they ever did anything wrong, uh, in that case then, uh, then what Laura and I would do is we'd have a conversation with them. All right, you guys know I'm joking. Obviously, we have these conversations. And Laura and I, one of the things, we don't do this every time, but one of the conversations that we have with them, if they did something to their brother or sister, or they did something wrong or, you know, disrespectful or whatever, then we'll talk to them about this action that they took after they've done the apology and forgiveness and all kind of stuff. And we'll have this discussion. We'll say, so let me ask you, did you know, before you did this very thing, did you know that it was wrong? It's a loaded question, Right. 
But we asked them, did you know, did you realize before you did that, that it probably wasn't the best thing for you to do? Well, clearly, if my children know what they're talking about, which they, in this case, you better get this one right, um, they know, yes, I knew that I shouldn't do it, but I did it anyway. And we want to hear them say that, not so that they feel more guilty or more condemned, but we want to do this because we want to connect the dot to why that is. Why did they feel that way? Why did they feel, why did they get this sense that they should not say those words, that they should not throw the car at his sister's head or whatever happened? Now you're getting a little more specific as to what we deal with, right? Okay, why, why do we know, why do we know that they felt something that said they shouldn't do that? You know why we know? And we connect these dots for them. That was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit reminding you that you shouldn't do this because then you're going to be condemned. You're going to have to have a talk with your parents. And you know how that much fun that is. We don't want, the Holy Spirit does not want you to be condemned on two levels. On one, he doesn't want you to get into the mess that will make you condemned. But then the second thing is, if you do get into the mess, because I don't know about you, but I've messed up a few times. And by a few, I mean a lot of times in my life. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and whispers to us and says, hey, I have some guidance. All you have to do is turn back to, you, to your father. Turn back to Jesus. You're good. The Holy Spirit advocates for us, goes to bat for us, guides and directs us. It is literally the daily connection that we have to God. In fact, did you know that every time you pray, the way that this reaches God is through the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't reach God. That's, that's our connection. That's our spiritual conduit, so to speak. All right? So the question I have for you on this one is simple. The Holy Spirit's here. The Holy Spirit is constantly working on us. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Because I don't know about you, but the truth is, most of the time when I hear the Holy Spirit, it is not obvious. It is not like booming. Here's, here's what I think we get. Let me, let me, let me just share, share how my thought process goes when I think I should hear God. Brent, thou shalt go down to thy neighbor and invite them for Easter. Oh, and also put your money in for the Easter lily, you know, or whatever. Like, right? I mean, like, that's what we think God should do, right? I, I mean, we kind of get like this sense where, okay, there's three stars in the sky and they're brighter than all the others. And that family down the street has three people in their family. That means I should probably go talk to them right now. Well, maybe God works that way. Maybe he shows you a sign, but you know how he does more often, way more often, at least in my experience and what I read in God's word, is he whispers to you as to what you're supposed to do, and then he just hopes that you're in tune with him so that you can hear it. The only way to hear God is to be in touch with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not usually yelling. Every now and then he's going to yell. There's been times where God was like, it was clear. And I don't know why. God just probably thought, okay, you're too thick. Come on, dude. But most of the time, God is just going to whisper to you and say, don't do that. Or I need you to do that. It's going to be good. I know, I know it scares you, but come on. The Holy Spirit advocates on our part. So he says we need to serve. He says we have the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. And then let's get to the third thing. 
The third thing that Jesus teaches us at this supper, the last meal that he has with his disciples, this is the most foundational, most key thing. If you don't believe this, then you literally cannot follow Jesus. How's that for up in the ante on it a bit? Literally, without this principle, without this fact, without this, you absolutely can't actually follow God. That's how important this next part is. And Jesus shares it at that meal. Let me just read it. John chapter 14, verse 1. Again, he's at the table sharing this with the disciples. Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus is saying, if I told you I was going to go to prepare a place for you, but then you get there and you're like, and you, uh, sorry, no more room in heaven anymore. Sorry, you're just a little late. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if I were saying I'm going to go prepare a place for you, don't you understand that there's got to be a place for you? Because <laughs> I'm preparing it. So that's what he's saying. Do you trust me? That's what Jesus is trying to say. So he's talking about eternity here. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, just uh, Thomas pipes in here because he learns that if you, if Jesus says something and he doesn't get, you better ask like right now. So this is what Thomas says. Thomas, one of the disciples jumps in. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. We don't know where you're going. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, oh boy, here we go. This is the last meal, Thomas. Like, we have to get this one, right? I can just see, just, I mean, I don't know because Jesus is perfect, so he's probably not how I would go. But me, I'm just going, unbelievable, right? I'm throwing a cup. Or, no, I'm not. <laughs> but like, oh, we've been talking about this for years, Thomas. Come on, you know the way. And this is his answer. This is the most important piece that you'll ever learn. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Huge. So Jesus says, you need to trust me. Do you trust me? I'm preparing a place for you. There's a place in eternity for you. Do you trust me? And then Jesus says, reminds them, this is how you get there. Now, let me just try to dig into this because this is so important. So our culture, if I were to ask a lot of people on the street and, and maybe even some people at Northridge, um, how do you get to God? What we would say is we kind of think of like a funnel, okay? Now, you're going you're gonna to laugh because I tried to draw this stuff, right? There you go. That's my artwork. Isn't it beautiful? You guys just have to deal with this, all right? God did not call me to be an artist. He called me to be a pastor, right? So this is, if you think about our culture and how they would describe their opportunity to get to God, they would describe it as a funnel. Now, they wouldn't say the funnel. This is just how I'm putting it, okay? But they would describe it kind of like a funnel. We all start with birth, right? We're all born. We're human being, beings, and so we're all born from another human being. We all start the same way. Now, we're all unique different families, different cultures, different places in the world, all that kind of stuff. That makes sense, but we're all born the same as everybody else is born, right? And so then we all start in the same place. But then what our culture would say is that there are lots of unique and all opportunities and pathways to God, right? That's what, that's what people would say. You can get to God all kinds of different ways. You can pray the way that you want to pray and you can use your idol and do all that kind of stuff. Like that's what a lot of people in our culture would say. I know I'm digging into stuff that's 
Ooh, a little offensive, uncomfortable right now. I get that. I'm just telling you what Jesus said, okay? So if you're offended, take it up with Jesus. You can take it up with me too. I'm cool. I'm cool with that. But this is what our culture would say, is there's a lot of pathways to God. You can get to God however you want. And, and the truth is, a lot of us in this culture, a lot of us in this church, believe this because there's a ton of truth in that. There's actually a lot of truth. There's, there's more truth in this than false. Did you realize that? There's actually more truth in this theory, this understanding, than there is false. Because do we all start kind of as human beings? Do we, are we all born the same way? Do we all put our pants on the same way, right? We don't like jump into them, right? One leg at a time. We all do that. It's normal. Do we all have unique pathways? Are we all unique? Are we all different? Yes. So do we all have to go our different ways to God? Yes. So all that's true. So what's wrong? There's one piece that's missing, isn't there? There's one piece that's missing in this, in this, in this issue, in this worldview, in this paradigm. And that is what Jesus says. And so what Jesus says means that it's not a funnel. It actually has to be an hourglass. Okay? It has to be an hourglass. Again, that's my best attempt at an hourglass. There you go. Right? So the truth is we all do start as human beings. We're all born the same way, but we're all born into different families, different experiences, different cultures, different places in this country, different places on the planet. All different. We all have different experiences, different uh, parents, different everything. All of it, each one of us is incredibly unique. So we all have different pathways to get to God. So that's true. We all have different pathways to get to God. The key, though, is what Jesus just said. At some point in the journey, at some point in the pathway, at some point throughout your life, you have to pass through Jesus. Right? You have to pass through Jesus. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, that includes no one, comes to the Father, gets to God, has access to God, except through, what does he say? Except through me. You have to go through Jesus. You can't go around Jesus. You can't know about Jesus. You can't have a Bible in your house and say, well, I have a Bible in my house. Well, that's good. I went to church several times. I think I went to church like 30 times out of the 50 last, last year. That's fantastic. That doesn't matter in terms of eternity, though. What matters is that you get through Jesus. That's what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Oh, and by the way, I put the Holy Spirit in there because the Holy Spirit is the one that surrounds all of this. And before you even give your life to Jesus, he is drawing and connecting you and, and prompting you and persuading you and trying to get you to go through Jesus. You realize that? So even the thousands of people that are sleeping in or hiking right now, they could care less about God. The Holy Spirit is there trying to help them understand that God is real. They're not listening, but that's what the Holy Spirit is doing interceding on their behalf. He's an advocate. Once we have Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is still there, of course. And now it just changes from trying to get us into Jesus and through Jesus to really guiding us how to follow Jesus in order to reach God. So let me take this full circle. Do you guys remember how the meal started? We're all the way down full, full circle. Remember how Jesus started the meal? Remember washing the feet? I want to go back to that. And Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he gets to the disciple known as Peter. You guys know Peter. He's that impetuous one. He's that, he's that one that says things without the filter. Hey, do you guys have a friend that has no filter? Okay, there you go. Hey, 
Peter's that guy. Peter's that guy. He says what he thinks, right? And so many times Jesus is like, no way you said that, right? And I mean, Peter's just out with it, right? And so Jesus is going around, he's washing the feet, and he comes to Peter. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know if Jesus ever cringed, right? But, but I can just see him like, Peter, just keep your mouth closed, let me wash your feet. But he doesn't. <laughs> this is what Peter says when Jesus comes to his feet. He hasn't touched his feet yet. This is what, he, this is what Peter says. Verse 8. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. See, what's going on here is Peter realizes he does not want his Lord and Savior, the one who he respects, to ever touch his feet. He doesn't believe he's worthy. So it's not coming from a bad place in Peter's heart, but it is wrong. It is wrong. And listen, Jesus very calmly, he knows Peter <laughs> quite well by this time. Jesus replied, Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Did you catch that? Jesus says to Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. So all of this is for naught. I have to wash you. And then this is what Peter says. <laughs> Again, no filter. Simon Peter exclaimed, oh, well, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Give me a bath, <laughs> Jesus. It's kind of what he's saying, kind of, right? But what Peter is saying is he's very passionate. Peter comes from a great place in his heart. He's like, okay, Jesus, then, then wash everything within me because I need more of you. That's a good place, isn't it? But then Jesus says something very, very powerful here, very important. Listen to what he says. Jesus replied to Peter's reply, hey, I want you to wash all of me. A person who has bathed all over, or in other words, a person who has given their life to Jesus. Again, we're not talking about physical here anymore, are we? We're talking about spiritual. A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. In other words, sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes you'll sin even after you give your life to Jesus. But, but all you have to do is just go for a quick foot washing. You need to repent. Seek forgiveness. You're good. Except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples, then he's talking to everybody now, and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Remember the context that they're in. He's with, in this meal with the disciples. Listen to what he says. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now this is a really, really, really important point that maybe you've never thought of. Judas the one who has already decided to betray Jesus, he's just looking for an exit to get out of the room. He's looking for a quick way to slip out so nobody notices so he can go to the religious leaders and betray Jesus for money. That's, he's already made up his mind to do it. He's already made the plan. He already had a meeting earlier with them. We find that out in God's word. Okay? And so Judas is just looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Jesus knows this. Judas knows this. Nobody else in the room knows this. Okay? And so Judas has, and I want you to understand, Judas has been with Jesus for this entire time. He joined with Jesus the same time that all the other disciples did. 
right? Jesus called all these disciples. Judas was one of them. He's one of the 12. He's been with Jesus. He's been walking with Jesus. He's been learning from Jesus. He's literally stayed with Jesus. He takes care of all the things, the, uh, some of the finances for Jesus. He takes care of all this. I mean, he's like one of the main people. He's one of the 12 disciples. He's been with Jesus for the last several years. And yet Jesus very clearly at the final meal before he's going to be crucified says, the rest of you are clean, but there's one of you that's not. Notice that Judas has been with Jesus. He's been with Jesus this whole time, just all the, like all the others. But clearly, Jesus says, Judas is not clean. He has not received salvation. He has not accepted. Okay, what's the point? The point is, what I just said is it doesn't matter how much you know about Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter how, much, how many times you've been to church. What matters is, if you go back to this hourglass, what matters is that you've gone through Jesus. I think most of us looking from the outside would say Judas has been serving quite well. Wouldn't you say? He's been with Jesus. He's been doing the things that Jesus asked for years. And yet Jesus says, one of you are not clean. What he's saying is Judas has not gone through him, hasn't believed him, hasn't accepted him, even though he's in his presence. Judas is not clean. And so I leave you with this thought. Jesus reminds us of three things. We need to serve. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. But then the most important piece is have you gone through Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? Just knowing about Jesus doesn't work. Just hearing from Jesus doesn't work. Hearing a pastor preach about Jesus doesn't work. You have to accept Jesus. You have to go through the hourglass. You have to pass through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me have to go through Jesus. And so I have two questions, very simple. First one, have you gone through Jesus? Have you gone through Jesus? And by the way, if you're wondering if you have or not, let me just tell you, it's very possible to even be one of the 12 disciples and not have gone through Jesus. That's huge. So make sure if you haven't given your life to Jesus, do that. Here's what I can promise you. And that's not me promising. I'm just quoting from what the Bible will tell you. Jesus promises that you will have peace, salvation for your sins, joy. That's what you will experience in your life if you give your life to Jesus. That's what he promises. Now, he does not promise to say, it's going to be rainbows and 70s every day of your life. Right? That's not what he says. But he says, no matter what you deal with, you're going to have peace and you're going to have joy. You're going to have salvation for your sins. So my question is, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you accepted? If you haven't, I encourage you to do it. The second thing is, for those of us in here who have given our life to Jesus, we're on the other side of the hourglass, so to speak. We've already passed through Jesus. We've believed. We believe he died on the cross for our sins. We know he rose from the grave, and we're good. We're followers of Jesus. We're Christians. We're good. We're set. 
We know where we are with God. For those of us in that position, let me ask you this. Now what are you doing to help other people pass through Jesus? That's your role. That's your goal on a daily basis. Even more than your job, even more than your family, even more than hiking or eating cookies, as I would say to myself. It's more important than anything you could put in there. What are you doing to help point others to be able to pass through Jesus? Let's pray.